Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. In nature, without any intervention from humans, something is happening. Seeds are germinating. There's this knowing. And so I think that's where toying with some of these concepts and ideas helps get us back to how can I replicate nature and how can I be least imposing on the natural world and yet still achieve my goal of, you know, growing my own food and flowers in a way that is sustainable for us as humans too. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning and welcome to another Friday morning Good Dirt interview with Mary and Emma and our amazing guest who we will introduce in just a little bit. It is June. I just wanted to remind everyone before we get started today that we do have a voicemail. It is 443-459-1950 and we love hearing from you. We love hearing from our listeners. Please call us 443-459-1950 and tell us your favorite Good Dirt episode. Tell us what you're working on. Tell us about your slow living journey and your thoughts about slow living. And what we'll do is we'll collect a number of voicemails. They will probably be played over the podcast. That's another thing. If you're leaving a voicemail, we love to play it over the podcast for others to hear so listeners can connect with one another. And one of our lucky callers will be chosen for a slow living consult, which is basically kind of like coming on the podcast for an interview with us. And it's so fun. We've done a few of these and we will actually be airing one soon as a podcast episode. So you'll hear from that in a couple of weeks. But yeah, call our voicemail 443 We love hearing from you. Tell us who you are and where you're from and a little bit about your slow living journey. We can't wait to meet you. Yeah. So guess what? We are already almost to the summer solstice. It's next week, next Wednesday. That's really exciting. Although I feel like I've been doing summer, honestly, ever since the wedding because that was Memorial Day. So I feel like in capitalism world, (laughs) summer starts after Memorial Day. I love summer, man. It is true. Memorial Day is the cultural launch to summer. But in terms of the season, it, you know, it is the longest day of the year in North America. It's that time of the year. You know, you said we love June. I really do love June. And, you know, it's hard to say what a favorite month is because, you know, we're all about slow living through the seasons and all the months have their special charm. But I do love June. 
This is a time of year when you can practically watch things grow before your very eyes. You really get a sense of the amazing power of the sun as a giver of life. And you can see life just surging all around you. So it's, it's very magical. I love the solstice season. Summer solstice is super special. It's, there's something really fun about it being the longest day of the year. And then also crazy and a little sad and a little scary when you're like, when it only gets shorter from there. You're like, I'm not ready. I know. We wait so long for summer and we look forward to the warm weather and the long days. And then all of a sudden it's going the other direction. It is true. But this is life. This is the cycle. This is what we talk about all the time. So it's true. It is life. It is the cycle. And one of the best ways to explore that is through gardening, something that we talk about often on this podcast, but I think maybe not as often as one would think. So we're really excited about today's very gardening specific episode. Yes. And with our guest today, Bailey Van Tassel, we're going to talk all about growing things and gardening year round. Bailey is a self-taught gardener and writer living in San Juan Capistrano, California, with her husband, Joe, and their three children. And her personal gardening adventure began when six plants from Home Depot became two raised beds in front of a condo where she began growing food. She had to actually petition to the Homeowners Association to let her do this, promising to share all her veggies with the neighbors if they allowed her to do it, which she did. And... Now, she lives on a quarter acre with a big, beautiful garden, and she shares not only her veggies with the neighbors, but her knowledge and passion for gardening. Her goal is to inspire a life filled with gardening and nature, bringing the outdoors in as often as possible, and adding a little bit of nature's magic into every day. Bailey is a delight. And she's the founder of the Kitchen Garden Society, which is a monthly gardening club subscription for all hardiness zones with daily inspiration for living seasonally, monthly tips for sewing and harvesting, do lists, gardening lessons and recipes. We know many of you will relate to the story of how Bailey adapted her vision for a rural life to a suburban setting and how she has built a community around helping others do the same. So we enjoyed this so much and we know you will too. Here's Bailey Van Tessel of the Kitchen Garden Society. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm super honored to be here. My name is Bailey Van Tassel, and I typically describe myself as a home gardener, but I suppose that's evolved into something more. I consider myself a small business owner and educator in the gardening space. So it started out really like most things do as like a little bit of a, in air quotes, discussion with my husband about gardening. We lived in and still do, I guess, the suburbs of Southern California. I really never wanted to be here or stay here. I, I grew up on a little hobby farm in Northern California in Sonoma County, which is like this just, I think, totally idyllic place to be. Anyways, ended up down here in the suburbs and we were having these discussions about potentially moving and leaving California so we could raise our young family on like acreage and land and more space, which is kind of how I was raised. And it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't right. And so, you know, one day kind of in this heated moment is just like, I need to have my big garden and my mini donkeys and my land and all these things. My husband's like, even if you had this dream farm that you think you want, 
I don't even know if you would like it. Do you even know that you like gardening? Like I had this vision in my head because of the way I was raised and he was right. I didn't really know if I was going to like gardening for one and keeping mini donkeys and goats and chickens (laughs) and the whole nine, you know, I marched out the door and straight to Home Depot that day and bought like probably an 18 inch pot that had six vegetables in it. And I'm like, will these stay in here? Do I just leave them in here and water them? They're like, yeah, yeah. No, no, like definitely that's not what you do. But that got me started. And I fell, I really did fall in love with gardening. And it kind of just took over my life. It became something I was so passionate about. It quickly turned into not just a passion and a hobby, but something I was totally transfixed and enamored by. So I just started researching like crazy and and I'm still can't, I cannot consume enough information about sort of gardening and permaculture and ecology in general. It snowballed for me, but um, that's how it all got started. And I, I started sort of documenting my journey on social media and that picked up steam as 2020 rolled around and people became more interested in their own backyards. And that evolved into a full-blown career in business. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, I have to chime in here and say in our online community in the Almanac, we just had a discussion group. We, we met one night on Zoom and there was a lot of people that had the same thing, kind of the same discussion going on in their family or had in the past. It was people of all different ages about, you know, wanting more space, wanting to garden, wanting to have maybe animals, wanting to have like, you know, the little farm or the big farm or whatever. And we just kind of process that together. What does that mean? What are people really looking for? And if they had it, would they really want everything that comes with it? Yes or no? And, you know, people are on this huge spectrum about it. And some of it might be slightly romanticized, but some of it might be like a real deep passion that's untapped, like it sounds like you had. And some people might be able to satisfy this, you know, yearning for more connectedness with nature, more connectedness with your own food, being surrounded by dirt, air, just space in smaller ways, you know, in urban and suburban environments. So we just discussed sort of all of that. But I think that's just something that's out there a lot. People are thinking about this and wanting to do it. And here you are. And and you discovered a very deep passion through it. And so now you have a business. So tell us about this business. Well, to speak to your point, I talk a lot about like, I feel like an evangelist for the get started now with what you have and allow the process to unfold. Because definitely if we would have been like, you know what, we're just going to go buy a place sight unseen, move to Tennessee on acreage. I think I would have been entirely overwhelmed and it wouldn't have been that bucolic experience that you think you are signing up for. It's so much more work than Mm -hmm. anyone could anticipate. And I think there's, there are a lot of trials being raised on a small, on like our little hobby farm. I got to see the realities of what it really looks like and what it really costs time and money wise to take care of animals and to buy feed and to have horses that are elderly or sick, dogs that get hurt and animals passing away. And like, there's just so much. And I think there is a huge reality that people don't account for. And they just think it's like running through a field of golden wheat in your like pretty dress. And like, I get it because there are many days when I wish that was my reality. So anyway, get started where you are with what you have and like allow it to unfold has been at least an experience for me that I felt like was just deeply satisfying. And I became content with so much less than I ever thought I could have. It's such a good point. And another thing that came up in this discussion in our community was people are weighing, what about the children? 
is this a good thing or not? There's all kinds of sides to that. Do you take your kids off somewhere like really remote? There may not be neighbors or other children around. Do you homeschool? What's the school? All those questions. Or some parents felt like the city was too intense for their kids and they wanted them to have a different experience growing up. And other people felt like they didn't want to take their kids away from the city and all the activities and the opportunities. And so there's just this whole spectrum of things to consider. And so your children are young and I'm sure you went through this in your head too. Like, where were you on that? spectrum of what about the kids raising a family? Yeah, well, it's so funny. My husband and I are absolutely the definition of opposites tracked. So our kids are definitely getting influences where my husband's way traditional and send them to traditional school and we'll live in the suburbs and like would just kind of follow the norm, like the normal bouncing ball of, of actions. That's how he was raised. And I'm the opposite. And I'm like, forest school, Waldorf, homeschool, yeah. you know, exploring all those things. And I really had to do a lot of soul searching as a mother to figure out what my priorities were and what I was trying to not only achieve for and with my children, but I had some hangups based on just my own upbringing that I needed to overcome a little bit within myself where I was like, okay, I think I'm actually like pushing some of my weird preconceived notions and traumas like onto my kids and that's not their reality. So we need to (laughs) kind of work through that. We actually have our kids in private school that allows us some of the controls that I think people are really searching for with homeschool, but also the social element. Everyone in our family is incredibly extroverted and social. So our kids really, really love going to school. And I think you can create an environment that your kids will like no matter where you are. But this just really worked for us. And I like being afforded the opportunity to work and having time to do that. But I had a lot of guilt about it because I am in a lot of circles where I do feel for me, there's a component of traditional schooling that I don't agree with. And that's how much time they spend indoors and how much they're required to sort of sit and focus and hit milestones that I think are somewhat arbitrary. I just know that when they're at home with us, that there's a different life that they have and they get to be outside and they're in the garden and we're going to farms and we're doing hikes and we're in nature and we get to sort of enjoy both. So that is what we've arrived at so far, but it's been somewhat torturous to come up with a solution because my heart is in a lot of places on that subject. And I'm still kind of figuring out, you know, what is my instinct and what is me just being really worried about the world that my kids are walking into that's outside of my control. What part of it is, like you said, kind of projecting your own, like, oh, I wish it had been different for me. It's already so different for your kids. Like, it's not even the same at all. Well, and it's so, I mean, I was raised by two, like, total cowboys. Like, we're talking wranglers, belt buckles, rodeo, (laughs) horseback riding. And I came out of the womb wanting to be a ballerina who was Mm -hmm. into, like, fashion. And Mm -hmm. I cried and complained about every single hike. I never wanted to work outside. I wasn't into gardening. I wasn't into like any of those things, but it kind of got baked in. And then I woke up one day in adulthood and was like, wait, my parents had it totally figured out. Now I wish I had three acres of the creek in the back where I could just go get lost and have like dirt under my fingernails all day. So I think there's just so much of our children's experience that's just their own. And I'm just learning to try and see them for who they are and cultivate what's like best for them and sort of be in tune with just their emotional health. 
and try to like separate, you know, any of my expectations. That's so interesting. And, you know, in the 90s, I wanted to homeschool my kids and it was there wasn't the infrastructure you have now and there weren't the communities. There were some just little burgeoning. It was hard to find a community for that. And I actually did it one year. It was Emma's kindergarten year and she would have none of it. I was going to kindergarten. I was so excited to go to school. Are you kidding me? I'd waited for like five years to go to school. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, you know, and then, so I had the two little boys and we did it for a year and it was fun. It was fine. It was, it was, there was, you know, ups and downs. And so the next year I thought, okay, we've you know kind of been there, done that. If it was now, you know, there's all this great stuff. Um, I don't have grandchildren yet, but I think it would be really fun now. But to your point, there are so many scenarios and factors and, and you did, there's just no way that you can do anything, but just zone in on what your needs are in your kids and, and, and go from there. I mean, that's totally it. So yeah, but we already have an episode on homeschooling folks. And yeah. to like tie it back to gardening really brought me back into myself and my intuition and reawakened a little bit of like a place in me that was about like experimenting and allowing sort of co-creating with nature and whatever you believe on the God front. Like I just felt like it really opened me up in a new way. And I think that experience as a mother and as a woman is really important to be reconnected to just who are you with your truth and how is that separate from the family unit and also a really integral part of it. And for me, at least, Ning really put me back in touch with that because I sort of rediscovered this balance of what's in our control and what's not and being able to let some things be really controlled and let some things be really wild and free. And, you know, that whole concept when it comes to nature really helped contextualize like my entire life's experience. It's not to be super dramatic. No, it makes a lot of sense. Can you talk a little bit? I don't know if it's connected to what you were just saying, but you said you sort of woke up at some point in adulthood. That was maybe aha moment if there was one or maybe there were many. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So I left the like small town that I was raised in and I was really, really one of only a few people I feel like that like went away to college. And I ended up in this sort of Southern California city-ish environment, lived in LA for a while and just experienced sort of the shallows and felt really disillusioned by the vibe, the people, the priorities, and was exposed to the full range gamut of that whole Southern California lifestyle. I just saw so much of that fast paced sort of city life and felt like this is not me. And I just deeply craved It was like, right, it was kind of like post-college, I'd say I was maybe like 23 or 24, where I just really started to crave this sort of return to like the characters that raised me and the people I admired and looked up to. And what I figured out was this theme, that sort of salt of the earth mentality and quality. And these were people where I just remember at a certain point in my experience thinking like, none of these people know how to get like a truck out of the mud. And like they lack so many, I felt like fundamental skills that just make you resourceful and build character. And I don't know. So I wanted to, I just started sort of seeking a return to more depth and finding people that I just, I don't know. I just started to feel that sort of return to home, but I never ended up going home. Once I had kids, I felt really strongly about this needing to have nature be really fundamental in their lives because I just felt like that connectedness was something I saw in my upbringing and the people that I respected most really had a strong connection with nature. So I wanted to try and provide that for my kids. So now 
that you have your garden and your business and you're figuring this out with your family. Do you feel like you've created more of this space in this community that you were hoping you would one day end up in? Yeah, no. And I guess that leads to this more relevant aha moment. I sort of started sharing about my gardening journey. People started paying attention. And at first I felt like a total weirdo and like I was getting super judged by like our actual friends. And then I started to feel like maybe this was the purpose. Maybe I'm placed here in suburbia in the total. I mean, I literally live down the street from like real housewives of Orange County, but maybe that's the purpose. Maybe I'm here to sort of bridge the gap and show people that you can live in a way that's meaningful to you. And that's more simple and more pared back and more sustainable and rooted in something that you really believe in and be different. And I just felt like maybe that's what I'm called to do is to share where I am with what I have and not to just try and replicate what I've seen online. That's it. That's the whole thing, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to buy a, a mini, you don't have to buy a farmette in Tennessee. Right. You can, but this comes up so often. I think we talk about this in our little book, Lady Farmer Guide. We're really all after a feeling and attach the feeling with an action. We attach the feeling with being on a farm. We attach the feeling with running through the fields of flowers in our dress (laughs) and, you know, that whole thing with the children behind. The feeling might be about something deeper than that, something deeper than location. And there are other ways to get that feeling rather than turning your whole life upside down, forcing family members to do things. And they're like going, what? You know, (laughs) 100% and 100%. And that is definitely what I was looking for. And think that is what at one point, and this was like in 2020, before I had really started like an actual business, I was just really gardening and sharing about gardening online. It got to a point where I was spending a lot of time sharing and investing and sort of trying to tell my story. And my husband was like, what are we doing here? Like, is this work? Is this play? Like we let, you know, we kind of need to have a discussion around it. And I realized I tapped into that feeling and made it work for me in my lifestyle. And I want my work to be that I garden and get to spend as much time with my kids as I choose to spend. And so that was what drove me into sort of starting a business based around social media and also gardening. But I so agree with you that it's a feeling. And I think that there's a way that you can cultivate a community around yourself with common interests wherever you are that will help you tap into those feelings that you're looking for. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say that this feeling or this yearning, we call it, is pretty pervasive nowadays, even in people who maybe have not identified it as a yearning for their rural life or gardening or the dirt, but they're yearning for something that they might not have quite nailed or identified like what is it and I think maybe that's why they're so drawn to like your content and they they see you this busy suburban mom with her hands in the dirt and there's kind of what an awakening or a recognition or a connection or something there so you know I'd like to just maybe suggest that you're speaking to more people than even you're speaking to. I I mean, not to get too nerdy about it, but I think there's a science to it. I think as humans, biologically, we need nature and we need, and I mean, there are the microorganisms and there's like the serotonin that's released when you're literally working in the dirt. And I think that there's a biological craving for a return to that. And I think that's a part of it that some people may be totally unaware of. And I think part of it is because we've just taken ourselves, we've isolated ourselves, right, with technology and and even social media and all these things. I just think there's this sort of revival, a return to our roots that people really are wanting because they miss that connection and that groundedness, I think. 
whether they are aware of it or not. I think there's sort of a scientific component to it. Absolutely. And also the point that I mentioned this a lot on here, we use the terms, you know, we need to reconnect with nature and we need to, you know, get back to nature and all those things. But in my heart and mind, that sort of affirms the idea that we are separate from, from nature. If we need to connect back to nature, then there, there's the suggestion there that we're different when really there is no disconnection. We have just forgotten it and we've modeled our lives as if we were disconnected, but we're really not. We're part of the cog in the wheel and we don't act like it. We haven't acted like it for many, many thousands of years. We've acted and behaved as if we were set apart from the rules of nature. They don't apply to us. We're humans and, and the rest of it is, well, you know, we'll just make it work for us. But this larger movement is a returning of the consciousness that there is no separation and a recognition of that innate connectedness. Billy, can you tell us about your idea of a garden inspired life? Oh, yeah. I started using this term living a garden inspired life because it started out as gardening and then it snowballed into caring about a lot more other things. Right. So I started understanding soil health and where there's a lack of soil health, i.e., you know, grocery store produce and mass market products and all that. I got more into ecology and like climate and just broadening my, my eyes became more open to just what's going on in the world. I just felt like everything tied back to being a really, really good steward of the land that I have in my care and my garden. And that really inspired me to just slow down and sort of get back to my roots in a lot of other ways. And so that's, you know, looks for me like bringing nature inside, doing nature crafts with my kids, like baking bread from scratch. Like there's just something therapeutic about kneading the bread that you can't deny, you know, and these are the things that I feel like they give me that feeling. And it was all in that the feeling, I guess, is like a groundedness and, and at homeness within myself and this assuredness. So when I meet other people or I'm in environments where I really feel in flow and like this, sort of kinship like I do with you guys, that's the feeling. And so the garden really inspired that for me and unlocked that for me where I felt like a renewed sense of purpose. I kind of felt like I found my thing, but I also felt like less is more became a theme and just seeking out, you know, making my own salves and tinctures and pursuing sort of an herbalist approach. I'm very combo of sort of modern Western medicine meets Eastern, like, you know, we're just a big mix of all the things. I'm not into really condemning the way anyone does anything. But for me, just being inspired by the garden meant paring everything down and going for that, that feeling of that groundedness. And so that kind of pushed me to put, to create a lot of magic and what it feels like magic to me in our lives. And that is rooted in a lot of just sort of nature, simple back to basic style living. So tell us about how your business evolved and, and, and how that works and how does that integrate it into your everyday life? Let's just hear all about it. Sure. So the Kitchen Garden Society is a subscription and that's my primary business. And it is a monthly garden club, essentially, but it's nationwide. It's all U.S. hardiness zones. And it was born of this realization I had in my garden that not all gardens are created equal and not all literature for gardening. If you go out and buy like a gardening book, they're usually going to be addressing like the central zone, hardiness zones in the country. 
and we're talking about first frost and last frost. Well, I don't get a frost. So a ton of that advice like just does not apply to me whatsoever. And I realized that almost all gardeners are going to have a unique way of approaching the way that they plant and find like a rhythm with their garden. So I wanted to start this club and now it's it's a it's a membership you know monthly subscription how whatever you want to call it and every single US hardiness zone is included and we talk about what you need to be tending doing harvesting sowing and transplanting in your zone and then we also have gardening lessons every month and so those stack up we've got archives now full of lessons I do a big master class on planning we deep dive on different subjects like planting potatoes or growing dahlias or vermicomposting whatnot we have experts chime in each month we have seasonal recipes we talk about seasonal produce because I think seasonal eating is really really fundamental and so it's just this monthly subscription that helps people that want to stay on top of maximizing their gardening experience but also living some of that garden-inspired life. So we've got daily inspiration for doing that. And it's really helping people to save time and burnout when it comes to gardening, but also sort of live that lifestyle. So the kitchengardensociety.com is where that is. And that all really came from the way that I design our rhythm and our lives and trying to give people actual good deep dive information when I started sharing on Instagram and Instagram content lasts seconds and then it's just gone into like the ether of Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I could teach you how to sow cucumber seeds and what my best method is, but tomorrow that content's gone forever. So I wanted to really find a home for that. And I also wanted to address that US hardiness zone thing. Cause I think that's so important where each month I was literally Googling like what to do in zone 10 B in February. And so now we have a home where everybody every month can just constantly be checking in on what they can be doing in the garden and then how to do it essentially. That's awesome. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products, including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Can you talk a little bit more about 
your garden and your sort of gardening style. Give us like a audible tour of your garden and sort of how you go about living your garden inspired life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it started out as two raised beds and then we moved and we had a little more space, but it was the pandemic. So we had to wait because lumber prices were crazy and we're in a new space and you really have to live in a space before you're going to do it. So I actually gardened in ground the first year at this house we're at now, but that evolved and now we have 10 raised beds. We're currently deep in the fall winter garden, which is my favorite because we have very few like pests and disease here this time of year because our humidity has been cut down and it's just really temperate and lovely. So we've got tons of broccoli, cauliflower, chard, spinach, lettuce, calendula, snapdragons. Most of our herbs grow perennial here. So we've got all that going on, pansies, nasturtium, onions, garlic, shallots. That's all happening in the garden. Actually, just the other day, my son came in and had like a huge handful of onion greens. And I was like, like, those are for like onions that were growing like bulbs and, you know, like <laughs> yeah. those are not ready, but they uh-huh. go through the garden and will eat the onion tops. I'm like, you guys are crazy. That's not <laughs> palatable for most humans. That's funny. Anyway, so we've been making a lot of things that require basically like chives because they kind of taste the same. Yeah. So my garden is those 10 raised beds. And then we've got borders that I'm planting actually sort of in an English cottage style. I'm trying to get a mixture of annuals and perennials. So we have some sort of privacy shrubs on the borders and then statement flowers that draw on the pollinators. I wanted this mix of French potager, very polished planted beds, and then kind of wild mass of flowers and shrubs around the edges was my personal little vision. And then in our garden, one of my favorite things, I built this secret fairy door into one of my raised beds for the kids where we hide like little treasures. It's like an enclosed box with a functional door. And so we'll go out there and check that and I'll hide like little treats for them and just trying to find ways to kind of get them out there because I know following mom to hang out with her like wears off you know once they're getting around five they're like you're not you know I want to go do my own thing I've got a couple I feel like planting vertically is really important so I have a lot of trellis structures happening moving around all the time I'll be testing out a new trellising system for tomatoes this year I do not like growing tomatoes. I'm like the only gardener on the planet that just despises tomatoes. I feel like they're invite trouble. I don't know if you're the only one. I think that people just don't talk about it. (laughs) No, there's like a secret society that actually don't like growing tomatoes. But I want to make marinara and get into canning and live that life. So we, we won't give up on the tomatoes yet. But yeah, I should be turning my beds over for an early spring planting. Sort of as my crops rotate out, I start a lot of the early spring crops and then a big spring, late spring planting for my summer is kind of how I plan it. But we pretty much have something growing year round out here. That's so cool. Lucky, but also a little exhausting sometimes. Yeah, here is there's like complete shutdown after the frost. Well, you know, you're done. You're done to like March or even April and longer in places more north of us. So there's something to be said for that. But I'm sitting here listening to you describe what you have in your garden right now. And I'm feeling like really jealous (laughs) and like you really miss it. And I'm so excited about spring. I always feel that way. It's just part of the cycle here. That's the point too, isn't it? To become immersed in, in the cycle of wherever you are and to cultivate 
create this anticipation and thrill and all of that that goes with it. It's just really, really enlivening to look forward to things and enjoy them as they happen and also be ready for the changes as they occur. How much space are you working with there? People with small spaces love to hear about what other people are doing in small spaces. Yes, I know. You know what? I was just, let me run a quick calculation because I've been trying to talk about this and I don't know, Mm -hmm. I'm not really a numbers person, so I'm always (laughs) over number details. So I basically garden in 300 square feet. Wow. What? So we're like high density planting whenever I can. But yeah, it's pretty because it's just, I mean, it's they're four foot by eight foot beds and there are 10 of them. So that's, it's, it's actually closer to 320 square feet of like real plantable like space for growing food. So it's, it's a small, it is not, I mean, our entire lot is less than a quarter of an acre and you know, the house accounts for a really significant portion of that. I can replace fully some crops, but there are some things I'll just never be able to grow enough of to fully replace them in our diet. I could adjust our diet, of course, but we do the best we can. What would what would you say some things that just don't work in that space? Well, this year I tried like Brussels sprouts. Like I will, we actually eat a ton of Brussels sprouts and we'll just never have enough space unless that was the only thing that we grew. Brussels sprouts are hard too, kind of high maintenance. Yeah. And then I just feel like it's not they're one of those things I you grow at once and you're like, I don't know. We have a, it's called the Ecology Center close to us. It's a farm with a farm stand and they're just incredible. And so highly seasonal and anything I can't grow, we go there first and then the farmer's market and those crops that just take more space, you know, they, they need two to three square feet of space. And I'm always crowding everything because that's my journey. And I'm always like, you don't need that much space. And then my broccoli is kind of like wah wah. But we grew a lot this year and a lot of call, like enough cauliflower for sure, because we don't eat that that often. But I'm always just sneaking things into our food. And it's fun to play with it and see we eat so many more vegetables because we grow them. It's like I harvested it. We have to eat it like this. Yeah. is what we're doing. That keeps me inspired for sure. Are the kids on board with all the vegetables and how do they react to that? You know, it's my greatest brag as a mom because my kids really will eat almost anything and they're big veggie hounds. I mean, roasted cauliflower is my son's favorite, but they're out there. Like I said, they're eating like raw onion tops and (laughs) I can't keep the peas. We just grow for like garden snacks. So anything's fair game out there. But yeah, they'll eat almost any vegetable, fruit, berry, nuts, all that stuff. They're really good eaters. And I like to think it's something that I did as a mom, but it could (laughs) just be them. Yeah. (laughs) But I do think the garden, I mean, allowing them, like when we talk about it, they cook with me a lot too. I'm like, you grew this, you know, and Mm -hmm. they get to harvest the carrots and it's super satisfying. So they're usually out there pulling carrots that are totally not ready yet. And they're just eating them dirt on and everything, which is like my greatest joy and accomplishment as a human. So how old are they? If you don't mind saying. Yeah, five and a half, three and a half. And then my newest is almost a month. He's like almost four weeks. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh, so that's wonderful. So you've got two really actively involved young preschoolers. So inspiring. So very inspiring. And they'll be, they'll just grow up with those sophisticated palettes. You say, you know, sophisticated, I guess a couple of generations ago, this was all perfectly normal, but now you have to kind of cultivate that in children because there's so many other things that are calling to their taste buds. Yes, I know. Well, and we, I just always, and this was kind of my husband and I both kind of were raised this way. It was kind of just 
I make what everyone eats the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I put a vegetable on their plate every single meal, no matter what. And I just kind of no pressure it. And we tell them like, take a taste. If you don't like it, spit it out and we'll move forward. And that sort of lack of pressure, I think has been helpful, but definitely it's fun to see other people's kids come and be totally enamored with the garden too. Like they're just, it's a magnet and the kids are Mm -hmm. out there and they're like, what? I can eat this. And like, I don't grow anything in the raised beds that you can't eat because it's too confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I really wanted to do sweet peas this year, but those can be toxic. So, cause I'm like, if they see a pea pod, it's fair game. So Mm -hmm. I can't do that, but. You mean the, not the snap peas, people eat those whole. You mean like the shelled ones that you actually get the peas out of? No, like flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I've heard that. And now I get this dilemma where I'm like, I want sugar snap peas, but should I save these for the kids? Because it's like, I think about what they're eating over the course of a week as opposed to a day. It's way less stressful. So it's like, you know, if you want to make sure they're getting their veggies in, they're going to want those. But sometimes I want those, you know. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's funny is the whole sugar snap pea thing trend, like everybody grows down, everybody knows those and you serve them at parties. They're great dip and everything. It's a fairly new thing. And I, I like the English peas that you grow and you have to open them up and they're just so delicious. And, you know, not many people grow those anymore. And it's hard, you know, you can get seeds and stuff, but it's just the snap peas are so easy and you can eat them right, right off the vine and everything that I could think that they're more popular now. But I like those actual peas like you're talking about because mm-hmm. we eat, my kids eat a ton of those frozen, which is bizarre. Yeah. They'll just eat them frozen. And yeah. so I'm like, well, I should just grow these. They're harder to grow for me, but our pea season is now like winter is pea season for us, which is yes. unusual. So I've been testing out when's the earliest and latest I can grow peas. And you just have to grow a lot to like fully replace. Yeah, but they're vertical. So it's a good thing. But yeah, I just planted mine. It's kind of early, but they definitely like cool weather. Once it starts getting hot, they sort of like start going, mom, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So anyway, I wanted to hear you talk about, you know, you mentioned permaculture and I know you're you know, conscious of regenerative gardening and all that. So what are some of the things you do particularly that point to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm still like learning and reading and researching and I have big dreams for our property. But the goal, I suppose, and what I'm trying to do is create, and this is a permaculture concept, these different sort of rings and layers of our property Uh that satiate the wildlife and keep them at bay as you get near to the home. So right outside our doorstep are like herbs and then right beyond that are veggies because that's what we use. And then just beyond that would be this outer layer where we start getting into more feral land where there's like birds are eating the berries and, you know, squirrels and gophers and we have pests like anyone else. So trying to figure out how to create a really symbiotic relationship with the wildlife that, like I said, feeds them, but also keeps them at bay so they're not in the garden. And so that I'm not having to employ any like, quote unquote, pest control methods um, or totally lose my crop to pests because we don't have a lot to lose. So that's really the goal too. And then I think weaving in as many native or similar to native plants. In California, the native plants are so different than in other parts of the country, but around the world, we have South Africa, for example, Australia have a lot of plants that work really well, feed our soil really well, are non-invasive and can be sort of supplemented. So examining what those options are as we're looking at landscape plants and border plants and things like that. And so that is 
something else we look a lot into. And then I'm really into this concept of guilds, which is like yeah. the area below trees and fruit trees. We've got these little, a lot of dwarf fruit trees and I want to be growing things below them that feed the trees in the soil, that bring in beneficial bugs, that keep away the bugs we don't want and really examining that on all levels of our space. And that's where I try to draw on a lot of those permaculture principles, which are rooted in those concepts. And then I also love to get kind of woo-woo with some of the biodynamic stuff where we're kind of going out and trying to honor the plants in the soil and the moon cycles and the tides and all of that and tie that in. So it makes the evolution of who you are as a gardener, I think, really fun to pursue as you get to know all of that better and get to implement these fun things. But I'm really excited this year to make, you know, like chive spray to keep mold away and comfrey fertilizer and things like that, that on a small scale make a lot of sense because having like a giant hot compost heap isn't happening for me. But there's so many, you know, bokashi compost, like there's so many other things that are just really natural ways to tap into a regenerative solution. I'm really interested in the moon gardening as well. Well, that's very almanac. It is. I grew up in Appalachia and my childhood in the 60s and 70s, a lot of the old timers were still really into it. And of course, I completely ignored it then. And like, well, that's weird. Why Why would you plant peas in the arms? What are they talking about? And now I'm, I'm like, oh, give me the information. And there's not that much of it. And I've been digging around a lot, you know, trying to piece it all together. I've really been enjoying that. And then parallel to that, sort of dipping my toe into the biodynamic stuff and come to find out they're two kind of different systems and trying to see where they overlap or where they depart. So anyways, very fascinating thing. But do you have any planting by the moon practices that you employ or do you just try to keep an eye on it? I'm so glad you asked that because we actually have a planting by the moon lesson in the Kitchen Garden Society for our members. Cool. Definitely. I just little plug. I have a girlfriend from Appalachia who was our guest expert on that and she loves doing all the moon gardening. And I've also used the almanac. I have to have things like written out for me or I'll forget because I don't know them. Mm -hmm. I like to pay attention because I think it's so like the waxing and the waning of the moon and how they impact the tides were like five miles from the beach here. So that's just science. And I feel like that the way the water is flowing in our gardens is really important to pay attention to and how much, much absorption you're having. We live in a drought in California constantly too. So I really like to honor that. So that's the first layer that for me makes the most sense is like really that the whack, the moon, the phases of the moon and how they impact the garden. So when to sow root crops versus above ground crops and when to pull things out and put things in. The next layer, which eludes me a little bit now, and it's just the season of life I'm in. Then you kind of get into like the astrological component where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, now the moon's waning and it's in Gemini. And that's when it's best to do whatever, plant the root crops. So I kind of have just stuck to the very, very basics and then try to layer things on. If I can plot it out on my calendar in advance, that really helps. And then I'll just know like, okay, let's try and get seeds in the ground on the 21st instead of the 23rd. I like that structure that it adds to the, you know, gardening in general, which for me is helpful because usually I'm like, okay, I have 10 minutes, like what's the priority? So I do pay some attention to it. But at the end of the day, I'm usually like done is better than perfect. So if I have time, go for it. If a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, are you going to not plant the thing? Cause it's not the right day. But I will say that this is something I was kind of toyed around with for many years. And also sort of a lack of information was 
part of it as well, but learning more and more. And this last season, I said, okay, this year I'm going to be, I'm going to really try to follow, can't follow all the rules because it's, they're, they're like too many layers as you were describing, but you know, you can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the moon phase and I'm going to pick the right sign. I will say that my garden had a certain sort of a holistic feeling about it. Whereas before, you know, I mean, my gardening style is more wild <laughs> and so be just like a great big old mess, you know, but somehow this year, the mess seemed a little more cohesive and maybe my imagination, but I was really conscious of it this year. So now this year, I want to dig in even deeper, try to employ some of the biodynamic stuff. But does the biodynamic system utilize that general rule about the waxing and waning of the moon? I, I know they say that it's best to plant things a few days before the full moon, but that wouldn't be the case necessarily in the astrological thing. It would totally depend on what sign you were in. Like what if Leo was right before the full moon, you know, they would say, don't do that. You know, Leo's a fire sign and you know, you're, it's not going to grow. At the end of the day, and this is, I guess, more of a permaculture principle. So traditional gardening, victory style gardening is actually Mm -hmm. so you have to like strong arm so much of it, right? You have, you're like imposing your will so hardcore on the garden back when people were like really into obviously like pesticide, fungicide, you know what I mean? Like getting rid of everything because they're just really trying to impose their will on the garden. And I think what I'm always trying to do is actually replicate nature. And that's where it starts to make sense that you follow some of these practices, the waxing and the waning of the moon and all that, because in nature, without any intervention from humans, something is happening. Seeds are germinating. There's this knowing. And so I think that's where toying with some of these concepts and ideas helps get us back to how can I replicate nature and how can I be least imposing on the natural world and yet still achieve my goal of, you know, growing my own food and flowers in a way that is sustainable for us as humans too. Yes, you know, there's this perception out there that gardening is really hard and it's a ton of work and you're just going to browbeat it to death because you want you want to get rid of the weeds and get rid of the pests and get your food. But there is another approach, as you as you express so well, that if we kind of give up that feeling of having to like control nature, which is what humans have done since the very beginning and look where that has gotten us and, you know, try to take on a position more of, you know, cooperation and co-creation. And I think this is a growing thing. And we've talked to some wonderful people on this podcast most recently. Have you heard of Mary Reynolds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We just talked to her a couple of weeks ago. You know, she has turned the whole thing upside down practically. She says we have to be guardians, not gardeners. I think her work is really pretty revolutionary and just making people look at it from that different angle. We're not trying to tell nature what to do. We're trying to help her get back to her own ways and help heal some of the damage humans have done over so much time. And it's not just the last hundred years since the Industrial Revolution either. It's been way, way back. <laughs> yeah, you could say that the beginning of agriculture, that that was what it was. You know, humans needed to get their sustenance from the land. And so they were going to control nature. I guess really quickly, do you have any advice for people just starting out or maybe someone who feels like they have a little bit of like gardener's block or something, just kind of any words of encouragement or advice for people that might need a little extra push? Yeah. 
I guess I always just say like, just fail fast. So start now and learn your lessons like we have all had to do. So just jump in and don't be afraid to make mistakes because life wants to happen. Like plants want to grow. So there's a lot that will go right for you no matter what Mm -hmm. and focus on that. And then the what I sort of think about when I'm getting started is just what do I like to eat? What do I think is beautiful? And what's exciting to me? And those are the things that I start with in terms of choosing what to plant or how to go about that. So I always like to have flowers in the mix because they draw on pollinators and we need that to grow veggies. And, you know, what's useful? What do we eat? What veggies do we want? And then what's interesting? I know every year I usually have something like cucumelons or dahlias or that's just interesting and unique. And I want to try it and see how it goes. And that keeps me inspired. So I think people that are feeling kind of apprehensive or blocked or burned out. Once you grow a plant, you create a connection with it that I think makes it really interesting. And so even really, I think there are some kind of common plants that are sort of wah-wah geraniums or something where Mm -hmm. at first glance, you're like, oh, that's kind of like a grandma flower. Then you go to the nursery and you explore geraniums and you're like, oh my God, there's like all these really cool varieties and different smells. And you can actually make rose geranium cake, which is so rad. And you start to get to know plants better. So just a trip to the local nursery, I feel like is always super invigorating as well. And that's kind of where I would get started. But I I mean, I really did start gardening in one single pot. And while I didn't get great advice on that, that is very, very viable. Even if you just do like charred strawberries and violas in a pot, it's so satisfying. And that sense of awe is what people experience when they garden that they do not know they're going to experience that that will keep them going. So I think once you get to have that, then you're golden. That's like, you know, that's your rite of passage. And then you're just like, oh my God, look at these strawberries ripening and they taste otherworldly compared to any other strawberry I've ever had. It's so true. The taste test and, you know, then you don't go back. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, Bailey, what does slow living mean to you? Oh man, slow living to me means getting back to basics and allowing the time and space that good things need to really thrive. So like I said, that's kind of kneading the bread and allowing it to rise as opposed to just buying it, growing things, you know, from seed, if you can, saving your seeds, letting some of your plants bolt. It's taking the, you know, the winding road because of the joy that it gives you as opposed to the straight path that just gets you there fast. Thank you. (laughs) Totally. And what does the good dirt mean to you? Oh my gosh. I feel like that has so many great meanings, but the good dirt is like, I have to acknowledge compost. That's the good dirt. And worm casting. Heck yeah. But it's also the joys of life, the good things, like the scoop, you know, getting yeah. into the action, the scoop, the good yeah. dirt is kind of what it means to me is like, <laughs> and that also, no pun intended, but not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do vermicomposting at your house? Yeah, yes. So I had cool. this like thriving worm bin and it was, it's so rewarding. And then I actually flooded my worm. We had these torrential downpours and I forgot about my worms and I was like nine months pregnant. And then I went out there one day and there were worms everywhere. There was like a wormicide situation. I felt horrible. <laughs> oh no. And so we need to restart the worm bin. But I do because the worm castings are so beneficial. I have to buy a lot of compost and there's not a lot of unbagged resources where I am that are really trustworthy. 
goal for me would be to have like three or four worm bins that we can really be happy. But yeah, the vermicomposting, I mean, you, you just need like a Rubbermaid. Like you can do that in a small space, really no problem. And it's way more efficient, I feel like, than trying to compost outdoors. It's really fun. I like doing, I mean, we did it when we were like kids. I don't, I should do one here. I don't, I should just do one again, but yeah. Kids, they love the worms. Yeah. <laughs> My kids do at least. And then I I'm do. like, the worms stay in the bin. <laughs> do you want to hear a funny story about a vermiculture experiment that I did with the school when my kids were little. Yes. Okay. Um, I was green school mom and we wanted to have the classrooms have their own worm bin. <clears throat> the principal of the school was very reluctant. I think worms inside and the dirty bin and worm poop and all that. She just wasn't sure about that at all. I talked her into it. You know, I talked it up. This is so great. All the things, you know, we guided them through it. And I was in my son's fourth grade classroom and we did one in there. And, you know, I had it up for a couple of days. I don't know what happened. Of course, you know, you talk about flooding the worms out. Somebody poured too much water in it or something. I don't know. But they walked in the classroom one morning and the worms had crawled out because it was too wet and they were all over the room. So this went over really, really well with the adults. <laughs> but anyway, that was funny. And then, so yeah, I'm just imagining to the questions like my kids, it's like, did the worms die? Where are they now? It's like, oh boy. They were, it was gross. They were everywhere. Once the worms get out, it's like they can be kind of stinky and like, you know. It's not, it's not a good situation. They want to be in the dirt. But if there's too much water in there, they'll come out. You know, like when you were a kid after a rain, you would see all the worms on the sidewalk. This is like they would come up for air. So you're yeah. coming after my own heart. That's so going to be me with my kids, though, like trying to push the worm bin on the school for sure. Yeah, there is a few things like there's also a plastic free lunch. This is in like 1998 or whatever. My mom suggested that the entire school one day, like bring your school lunch, there'd be no trash. And that was like, so hard for people. It took weeks of prep. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. You know, like this is how you do this. Bailey, is there anything else either you want to chat about or we like to ask also, what is it that you want listeners to most understand about the work that you do? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it's really meant to serve, like to bring people joy and contentment and utility that's always my goal is to just help educate and inspire people and get them outside in any way that makes sense to them. You can still shop at Target and garden and be into vermicompost. It's not mutually exclusive. So everyone's welcome. And hopefully I can just really infuse joy and contentment into your life without the overwhelm and the confusion that can come along with gardening. But yeah, that's what I would want them to know. So that's the the Kitchen Garden Society. And then I have a podcast called The Garden Culture Podcast. We'll have to have you ladies come on as guests. Yeah, would love it. Absolutely love it. And tell us about the podcast. What can people expect for the podcast? Yeah, it's a mixture of interviews of people that are not necessarily like horticulturists, but gardening or nature has made an impact on their lives. So we kind of just talk about what that looked like, you know, sort of amidst their life's journey and how they weave it into everyday life. So all different types of people. And we're just chatting about kind of similar to this, just gardening and ecology and regenerative things. And the other half is more gardening, how to, and sort of living seasonally where I just have some solo shows and I kind of, we always do 
at the beginning of the month, sort of an ode to the month and what to expect from it. Gardening and foraging and traditions and how nature plays into our lives for the month. And then other sort of skills and inspiration that we can talk through, like how to garden with kids or how to garden if you don't actually own any land and stuff like that. That's awesome. I've listened. It's lovely. Very, very valuable. Fun. The podcast life is fun. I know. It's super fun. We feel really lucky. Yes. Well, you guys have created a great space and I'm super grateful to have been a part of it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And how can people look you up and get involved with you? Primary place you can find me is just baileyvantassel.com. I'm baileyvantassel on Instagram. And then the kitchengardensociety.com is the membership. So those are the two, those are the places to be. Very cool. Well, have a great rest of your Friday. Yeah. Seems like your baby slept the whole time. <laughs> I, I'm thinking so. I'm getting a picture from my husband of them. They're lounging. So we're, oh, we're nice. doing good. We're <laughs> living that newborn life, which is a little bit of a fog, but I was following you. There was a few weeks I feel like where you're like, I'm just ready for this. To be I was so miserable with this pregnancy. I'll be the first to admit I was cranky. And I think I had probably some like antepartum depression going on. Like I was just wow. not feeling okay. And so I got really antsy the last like two weeks, which mm-hmm. is crazy because plenty of babies go beyond their due date. But yeah, he came two days before the projected due date. And I was okay. so, so grateful and had a super fun birth experience, which is like a conversation for another day. Cause who doesn't love a good birth story? But yeah. Yeah. So where I felt like so happy, but now we're just like nursing around the clock and just living in that, you know, the newborn life is kind of, it's, it's such a blur. It goes by so fast. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to just soak it in because yes. he'll be our last. Oh, well, I'm glad that he arrived and healthy and that you're good. And, and, Thank you for your time. I know you're a new mom and you're running a business and a house full of kids. And thank you so much for taking your time today. No, it's it's really my pleasure, ladies. So I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you. We will be in touch. This has been so fun. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at wearelady_farmer. That's We Are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.